From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains Live. Walking the streets of your favorite city, bright lights, big city, hitting you to the core. And then you realize it's not as safe as it was just five years ago. Well, with the rise of rogue prosecutors all over this country and their version of law and order, or lack thereof, we are all experiencing the increase of crime around this country and in our big cities. Also, don't forget the southern border. With the Biden administration's lack of care and failure in enforcing the laws on the books, the increase of crime is devastating as well. And folks, we know you're feeling it too, and that's why we had our friend Zach Smith on Heritage Explains Live to talk about why this is a top issue that people are concerned about this election season. We're going to talk about the cause, of course, but we're also going to talk about the solutions on this episode. So Tim Kennedy, roll that tape. Okay, Heritage Explains is live, and we are kicking on this Friday afternoon, (laughs) Zach. My name is Tim Desher, and I am joined today here, my good buddy, Zach Smith. He's, uh, he's our big wig <laughs> in the legal shop. Now, nobody here. ever accuses me of that, Tim, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Sorry, I appreciate I it. You know what big wig means, you know, it's just what it is. But, but I mean, you do, you know, the ins and outs of crime and law enforcement, and that's why you're here today, Zach. Well, I appreciate it. You know, there's certainly a lot to talk about in that area right now, unfortunately. Yeah, well, exactly. But, but we're doing it. And I just wanted to kind of set the stage a little bit here, Zach, if you want. Sure. So a recent Monmouth poll shows that crime is topping the concerns of course of voters this election season and yeah, like you said there's no question no question about it you know walking the streets here in DC up in New York right. Chicago Baltimore it's not as safe as it was no even question. 5 years ago yeah families are being torn apart because just rampant violence and drug use right. and, and and just crime in general and you know kind of you kind of wait for a Superman or a Batman to save the day, but we're in a position where you know leftist ideology right. is really trumping a lot of these cities' law enforcement, and it is resulting in very, very devastating consequences. The Biden administration, they're a no-show at the border, right. so you've got all the drugs coming in, you've got trafficking, kids are in a very, very dangerous situation. And we feel for all of the people impacted by this ideological battle. Of course. That is happening. So, folks, I, I, I know you're feeling it as well. Uh, we see the polls. We know it. We are all feeling it. So if you have a story, if you've got comments on this, drop it in the chat wherever you are, whatever message board you're on, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Getter. Thank you so much for being with us. Start now because if you type it in your end, chances are we're going to get to it. So we appreciate you doing that. Zach, start us off here. Why is crime such a big deal this election season? (laughs) Aside from what I just said. Well, how much time do we have, Tim? (laughs) Uh, Look, I think, unfortunately, uh, left-leaning politicians in many of our nation's biggest cities have bought into two fundamental myths. 
They've bought into the myth that our criminal justice system is systemically racist. It's not. And they've also bought into the myth that we have a mass incarceration problem in our country. We do not. And I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. If you look at the most recent crime statistics the FBI released, it actually showed a slight increase in violent crime, particularly murders, over last year's crime statistics. Hmm. The important thing to remember, the last year's crime statistics actually showed a 30% increase in the homicide rate in the United States. That's the biggest single-year increase since the FBI started keeping statistics. And so even a minor increase over that amount is a big, big deal. It's a huge deal. Well, and here's the other thing to yeah. consider. We see the FBI statistics. We think, wow, this is this is bad. Homicide spiking. But it actually gets worse, I'm sorry to say. Hmm. There are about 18,000 police departments, law enforcement agencies in our country that are supposed to report their crime data to the FBI. Only about 9,800 of those actually did that. Hmm. And so the increases that we're seeing are unfortunately likely much, much higher than what the data we have even shows. So we can see it city to city that we go in. And by the way, this is a very local issue. I mean, it's extremely local, but it's being, you know, this this idea of um, reform-minded rogue prosecutors, um, you know, enforcement, law enforcement, it seems to be very, very systemic and catching on within these big that's cities. Right. So, and, and by the way, folks, again, I wanted to plug because we're, we're just getting started here. We want you to get your questions in. We uh, we rely on that a lot for this. So thank you so much for, for dropping in your questions, comments. Again, I just wanted to plug that. But, but, but Zach, please just, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors here. Sure. And so we talk about prosecutors, we talk about laws or a lack of enforcement of laws. Right. What would you say is the greatest contributor. And I think it's important to talk about this so we know how to hold our leaders accountable. What, what, what do you think? Is there a single factor that is most more devastating? Well, you know, as my co-author and colleague, Kelly Stimson, and I have been writing over the past two years, there's really three fundamental factors at play in many of those cities. We call it the toxic trio. Hmm. Uh, because in many of our nation's biggest cities, you've seen this toxic trio of rogue prosecutors getting into office. You've seen calls to defund the police and then efforts to really demoralize the police in anything they do. Hmm. And so when you combine all three of those things, it's unfortunately the perfect recipe for crime, particularly violent crimes, uh, to absolutely skyrocket. Yeah. Well, I mean, let, let's let's just, you know, we think about it. We said crime is a lot of crime and law enforcement is local. But right. I just wanted to open it up a little bit too here and, and, and give a fair, I think, contributor to this. And I can let you weigh in on that. And I say the FBI and the DOJ, you know, there are a lot of questions and concerns about how they operate, especially under President Biden. How much do you think federal impacts local? Well, there certainly is a role for the federal government to play. You know, I think a lot of this starts with the message that's being Mm. sent to communities, that's being sent to criminals. For all their flaws, (laughs) criminals aren't stupid. Mm -hmm. They understand the incentives that they are given. And so if you send the message, either at the local level or at the federal level, that certain activities, certain crimes are going to be tolerated, well, criminals respond appropriately. Mm. Now, I think you did make an important point, Tim, when you emphasized most crime is a local phenomenon. That means there is a very limited role for the federal government to play. Uh, But there is a role. Mm. And so unfortunately, what you've seen from the Biden administration recently, as crime has become a bigger problem, they're starting to change the language that they use, starting to 
to see uh, that this is a problem and say things like, well, we're not really against defunding the police. <laughs> but what I would say is actions speak much, much louder than words. Hmm. And so we've talked about rogue prosecutors, these local DAs who won't enforce certain crimes, who won't seek enhanced penalties. Well, the Biden administration actually nominated one of those individuals, Rachel Rollins, the rogue wow. DA in Suffolk County in Boston, yes. to be the U.S. attorney in Massachusetts, the chief federal law enforcement officer there. Yeah. And so what kind of message does that send about how seriously federal officials are going to take this? Well, I think, I, th I think that, you know, when when you see this and we see what happens, like, there is a real impact happening right now. Look at look at the city of Chicago. Right. And 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 look at the state in which it resides. You know, they they pass um, basically codify. A, a lot of the defund the police movement into state legislation. That's right. This has an impact because there are people on the streets in Chicago right now that are scared to have their kids go out and play. I have friends there. 100%. And, and, and I know that's anecdotal, but it's not every day that you hear, oh, I had somebody shot on my street the other night in a decent neighborhood. No, 100%. This is a problem that's impacting many, many communities. Yeah. And you are starting to see it in more affluent communities and neighborhoods. But look, here's the sad irony and the sad reality of many of these policies. Hmm. You know, they're being pushed to combat the supposed systemic racism in our criminal justice system. They're being passed to help, uh, supposedly help minority members of our communities. But if you look at who's actually being victimized when yeah. crime rates increase, particularly when violent crime rates increase, it's actually minority members of our communities. And so the irony, the sad irony of this is that the very individuals yeah. these you know, progress, so-called progressive policies are supposed to help actually end up getting hurt the worst hmm. by these policies. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I wanted to... I wanted to kind of draw a little bit of a picture, folks, and as 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 you continue to watch, think about what you're seeing in your own place. I I found out the other day that my home county that I grew up in elected one of these rogue prosecutors funded by George Soros. Yeah. He has a very vested interest in this thing. You say, I mean, to, to maybe a billion dollars he's almost invested in, potentially invested in this. And, and that's a huge deal. Watching who George Soros is funding, it's a big deal. And you see a relatively conservative area of this country elect, go to the polls and elect one of these prosecutors. Right. And I think it's a really interesting thing because I don't I don't think I've ever really, up until now, I don't think I've really paid attention to the DA that I'm voting for in the election. Well, it's not surprising. Yeah. Look, local district attorney, local elected prosecutor races have traditionally been very low profile, low dollar affairs. They're yeah. often uncontested, uh, a lot of times when an incumbent retires or leaves office, you know, the first assistant or someone in the office steps into the role. And so they've typically flown below the, below the radar, yeah. essentially. And so that's kind of the diabolical genius of this hmm. plan uh, that George Soros, and there are others too, right. Brian Moskowitz, Kerry Tuna, uh, and then there are others that have funded this effort uh, to basically go into these races, hand select their candidate that's going to enact these radical policies and then flood the zone with mm. money, uh, mm. basically send in a tsunami of cash. And so in many of these races, you know, the, uh, a typical day in the life of one of their elections, if they raise six figures, that's a fantastic fundraising it's incredible. Uh, election for them. Yeah. 
But when you go in and we're seeing seven figure contributions in some of these Jeez. elections, uh, you know, that's a big, big deal. The other thing I'll point out, you mentioned a billion dollars. That's an estimate. It's yeah, very yeah, yeah. it's very hard to track the money uh, mm-hmm. uh, in these elections. Uh, some is given directly. Some is given through uh, independent expenditures. But then there's also an entire infrastructure that's been set up. A think tank of sorts, a fair and just prosecution hmm. has been set up to support these radical efforts. Uh, it's an ironic name because the policies they push yeah. are neither fair Not nor fair, just. Nor just. <laughs> and so when you talk about a billion dollars, this is really taking into account that entire infrastructure. Uh, but a recent report estimates that in direct campaign spending, either directly to campaigns or in independent expenditures, uh, it's estimated that George Soros and his allies have given somewhere in the neighborhood of $40 million Incredible. to get these rogue prosecutors uh, into office. All right. Well, we know folks all over the country are watching. Thank you so much for, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Get us your questions. Get us your comments. We we really do uh, uh, rely on those to keep this thing going. So thank you very much. Um, we have a Facebook viewer right now. How does this tie into the defund the police movement? Well, it's part of the toxic. Thank you for that question, by the way. Appreciate it. It is a great question. And it ties into the toxic trio uh, we've seen uh, in many of these cities. And unfortunately, many on the left have bought into this idea that there are certain crimes that cannot be enforced, Hmm. uh, certain things that shouldn't be crimes, uh, that you cannot enforce the law and there will be no negative consequences. Hmm. Well, we've seen that's just not true. Hmm. And so this idea that there are so-called quality of life crimes, things like Uh, simple possession of drugs, uh, prostitution, shoplifting, that when you don't enforce them, there are no consequences. Uh, That's not playing out. That's not based in reality. I mean, look at what's happening in Philadelphia. Look at what's happening in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Stores are closing uh, because they can no longer bear the cost of theft. Well, let me just ask you this because, uh, and and folks, we get your questions coming in. Thank you so much. We're going to get to them. But I just wanted to follow up on this because you mentioned San Francisco. Sure. And they just had a recall call of right. their district of the, their prosecuting attorney that's right uh chase aboden uh, booting chase booting and I, I wanted to see did has he been replaced with a law and order prosecutor or are they going to go back down that same road that they were heading down well, it's yet to be determined. When okay. Chase Boudin was uh, removed from office by the voters, the mayor selected a replacement, Brooke Jenkins, who so far has talked a good game. Uh, okay. She is not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but she does recognize you have to enforce the law. You've got to enforce the law. Yeah. Which, by the way, it isn't really a conservative. We've always make this point, That's folks. Right. It's not a conservative or liberal thing that we're talking about. It's just enforcing the laws that are on the books here. Community and safety should be a nonpartisan issue. Non-partisan. It's one of the few issues yeah. that should be nonpartisan, uh, but unfortunately we're seeing it politicized right now. Hey, I wanted to tell you, we got <laughs> see this comment. Phil put this comment up here. It says, it says, hi, Zach and Tim, great conversation. You're over the target. And then it says it's from the <laughs> Kevin Roberts show. Well, I appreciate is, <laughs> that. <laughs> either that means the boss is watching. Yeah. Kevin Roberts, the president of Heritage. Well, we better not get in trouble then. But, but I guess that's a good moment to plug the Kevin Roberts Show podcast, folks. If you want to hear issues like this and other issues discussed by a person way smarter than me and (laughs) and maybe maybe slightly smarter than Zach, maybe. That's a little Uh, more. Tune in to the Kevin Roberts Show. Thank you so much, boss. Appreciate that. Mike on Facebook. And this is and this goes to what I was saying about with with being from a relatively conservative area, Oakland County, Michigan. Mike from Baltimore. I live in Asheville, North Carolina. I can see the increase in crime coming. 
Well, it's no wonder Asheville, North Carolina actually has a rogue prosecutor in office. And so I think it's important to emphasize, so far we've seen this play out in big cities, urban areas, but anywhere that adopts these policies are going to start seeing the same types of problems cropping up. And so it just goes to show this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. It's a community safety issue. And that whoever buys into these ideas and whoever adopts these policies are going to have the same problems. Uh, Ken is watching on YouTube and this, this comment is so important. It means more to me since I'm sort of a, a tech nerd kind of a thing. He says, great video and audio guys. And that to me is probably the greatest compliment ever. Thank you so much for saying that, Ken. Appreciate it. Let me, let me just get back to local here. I want to sure. read something. Our friend and colleague, Joel Griffith, he, who works here at Heritage, he right. tweeted this out today. I know Joel, great guy. Yep. Yep. And, and, and but, but uh, I didn't ask him if I could do this, but he put it on Twitter. So I'm going to do it anyway. He tweeted out a great observation. New York Mayor Eric Adams dismissed the notion that disorderly conduct on the New York City subway is indeed a crime, says residents need to, quote, feel safe while city focuses on reducing, quote, real crime. Now, Zach, we've all seen the videos of people being harassed, beaten up, all this stuff on New York City subways. Clearly rhetoric like this is not helping the situation. No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely I mean, you not. Just, you've seen the videos. I mean, it's all over the place. It's like them telling people like, oh, you think you're experiencing it, but, 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 but pay no attention to what you're actually seeing. Well, and it's somewhat ironic because, you know, Eric Adams, when he ran for office, ran as somewhat of a, a law and order-ish type candidate. Yeah, people from New York, if you're on there, I'd love to hear it. If you are from New York and, and you remember when Eric Adams was, was right. talking about running for office and he seemed like a law and order candidate, I want to know. I, I thought he he sounded good. Right. You know, well, certainly when you compare him to Alvin Bragg, yeah. uh, the rogue DA there in Manhattan or Eric Gonzalez, the rogue DA there in Brooklyn, uh, Eric Adams certainly seemed to be taking a different tack. Yeah. Uh, but with comments like that, they certainly don't seem based in uh, in reality <laughs> uh, for the everyday uh, New Yorker. Liz on Facebook, this is a great question. And yes, Liz, I, I'll, I'll answer before I even read the question. The answer is yes. Can you link us? to the current top 20 highest crime USA cities. So we can see that they are all or mostly all run by blue progressive liberal governors, mayors, and rogue prosecutors. Well, look, I think uh, it's important to realize you were talking about earlier, Tim, and you were spot on when you said crime is mostly a hyper-localized phenomenon. Yeah. And if we look at the crime data, not only is it localized in certain cities, but within certain neighborhoods of those cities. And so when we see attempts to really extrapolate the data, run it different ways, it's really mm. misleading in yeah. some sense. But if we look at the highest crime cities and the highest crime neighborhoods within yeah. those cities, uh, we will see that unfortunately many of them are run by politicians and progressives who have bought into many of these very faulty notions mm. uh, that not enforcing crime has no consequences. Liz, thank you so much for that question. And Zach, I wanted to move to the southern border. Right. Um, we cannot talk about crime, law and order without seeing and and responding to what we see every day happening at the southern border and all that's attached to that the the drugs we we said it at the top of the show the the drugs the trafficking right the crime um you know we we read just the other day you know a a a girlfriend and two of her children were murdered by an illegal alien 
And and this, I mean, it's the devastating consequences of this. Talk a little bit about Biden's response at the border. There, we know it has, we know it's been weak, but there's been some movement and changes over a the last. A complete abdication of his duty. Tim. Yeah, that's the only yeah. way it can be described. Uh, we do not have a functional southern border right mm, now, yeah. and I think it's important to emphasize. And I think more Americans are starting to wake up to the fact that what happens at the southern border does not stay at the southern border. Yeah. In some sense, we are all border states now. Yeah. wherever we are. And so you mentioned earlier the drugs that are pouring through the southern border. The particularly problematic drug in many sense is fentanyl. Fentanyl. Uh, yeah. It's very, very powerful. A very small dosage can kill you, uh, mm. can kill multiple people, in fact. Yeah. And yet it's pouring through the southern border. We've seen seizures of some fentanyl made. It's uh, designed to look like candy mm. in some instances to appeal, uh, I guess, to a younger crowd. Yeah. Certainly easily confused by young people. And so it's very, very dangerous. But the other thing that gets lost in the conversation too often, I think, is the conditions at the southern border that are really perfect for human traffickers, yeah. uh, whether it's trafficking of a sexual nature or trafficking of a, a labor, uh, trafficking sure. labor into the United States. Uh, it's very, very pernicious. And really, you know, it's hard to think of a justification that the mm. Biden administration could come up with that would allow those kind of conditions to flourish. All right. So we are now, you know, coming up on this election. We know, we know that this is a huge issue right. and we can see the negative. We, we know that. And we can point out the cities where all of this bad is happening. I want you here as we kind of, we kind of bring ourselves to a close. I want you to tell us where functioning cities, some functioning big cities that are out there that we can say, hey, this is a place this is a model. This is something that we should emulate in our own town. These are the people that we should, you know, we should elect and support. These are the kinds of law and order that we want to see. Are you, do you have some examples of that? Well, I think a great one is San Diego, California. Mm. If you look at the, the city and the county of San Diego there, uh, it's very large. Mm. Uh, it's, yes, in fact, it's huge. one of our nation's largest. Yeah. Uh, but they have, and keep in mind too, Tim, it abuts the southern border as well. <laughs> wow. Um, or is very close to it. Yep. And, they have not experienced the same types of crime surges that many of our nation's other cities have experienced. And one of the main reasons is that the local elected DA there, uh, she has fulfilled her duty mm. to enforce the law to prosecute crimes. Yeah. Now, uh, several uh, rogue candidates have tried to knock her off. They haven't been successful. Uh, but I think when you see the approach that not only the DA there, but really the rest of the community is taking to combating crime, uh, they're seeing much more success than other uh, California-based cities like LA or San Francisco sure. or Oakland uh, yeah. are seeing. Yeah, and 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 we we've seen that that there was a very. And you mentioned you just I'll just stay in California. We saw that in LA there was a huge recall initiative of their prosecutor. Right. So the, and and it, it came up uh, slightly short. There was some validation issues right. on 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 signatures of ballots. You know that kind of a thing. But but the point is is that I'm trying to make here is is that there's an uprising right now. People are seeing this. People are becoming aware. They're they're awakening to this. Well, and to steal the left's woke term, they're awakening to this, and they're they're acting on it. 
Well, I'll make two plugs if I can, Tim. Yes. Uh, Cully and I have been writing about this crime issue, this rogue prosecutor issue for a lot of the last two years or so. Yeah. So if you go to heritage.org backslash rogue prosecutors, you can see everything. Phil, that, we can link to that, right? You could put that in the chat. Yeah. That thank would be you so fantastic. much. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Um, and you can see a lot of the information that we have. The other thing I'd encourage everyone is to be aware of who is running for your local elected DA mm. and listen to their language. If you hear them using certain, uh, poll-tested phrases, essentially, like we have a mass incarceration problem. Yeah. If they talk about our criminal justice system being systemically racist, kind of pay attention because those are the types of phrases that we've seen many of these rogue prosecutors use or that they are using currently. Mm. And so if you hear those phrases being used, dig in, yeah. see who supports them, see what policies they support. And really, that is one of the best defenses. Mm. Now, you know, at Heritage, we don't support candidates. We right. support policy and ideas. Uh, but it is important to know what policies and ideas uh, our elected leaders hold. Well, we're looking forward to your book that's coming out. You and Cully Stimson, your, uh, our, our great colleague here, are writing the book on this issue. And it's, it's due out uh, in a couple months, maybe? Uh, it'll be early 2023. Well, we're going to have you back on. Maybe we'll have Colleen here, too, That'd to talk great. about it. And we can we can kind of get a roundup and celebrate the release of that. You are leading the charge on this, Zach. And I'm so proud of you and Cully. The work that you're doing is incredible. Well, and you. and I also heard, too, that you don't know what you're going as for Halloween, but you do know what your dog <laughs> is going as of for course. Halloween. Of course. Yeah, right. Okay, so what is your dog going as? A candy corn. A candy corn. She was right. a bee okay. last year and, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, it'll be a good Halloween costume. Well, of course, absolutely. <laughs> well, Zach, thank you so much for being here. And folks, thank you for being here with us on Heritage Explains Live. It is always such a great pleasure to do this for you. And we're going to keep doing it as we continue to press on right. here through this season, this fall season here in 2022. It's a big, it's a big one. And so folks, we really, really, really thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, contributing here. And we'll see you on the next... Heritage Explains Live. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Thanks, Zach. <laughs>Folks, thank you so much for listening to Heritage Explains Live. Let us know what you think about it. Do you like us repurposing these video broadcasts on audio? If you do, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a comment wherever you listen. And by the way, if you want to watch the video of the audio you just listened to, you can find us on YouTube. And actually, I'll just link to it in the show notes. We'll catch you on the next episode of Heritage Explains Live. We'll see you then. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by John Pop.